Hey, what's up, Church Online? Wherever you are joining us, whatever time zone this week, I want you to say, what time zone are you in? Tell us online, Eastern, Central, Pacific Mountain, or all the other ones we don't know about, Hawaii, Singapore, whatever. So uh, we have people every week from Singapore almost with us. Isn't that awesome? Uh, God is doing some good stuff. Great to have you with us. Um, Before we close kind of close out our series on mind games that I just think has been so uh, great. I've heard so many great things. I want to remind us and and celebrate and and, and acknowledge that for the last three weeks, we've been doing 21 days of prayer. Some of you have been fasting. We've been focusing on the word. I've been saying every week that this will be your best year ever if it's your best year spiritually. So we're going to be committed to the word. There are so many testimonies and stories that are already coming out of that. And, And I wanted to hit you to know Every year when we finish our 21 days of prayer that we provide the journal, whether you do the on, uh, online digital one or in paper, we always get, well, what are we going to do next? What are we going to do next? I address it every year. There's great resources, great reading plans, but we took it one step further this year. In fact, there's a, a couple that joined our church in the last year that they kind of heard the need and like, hey, we want to create something. And so uh, we have a, a family in our church. They have, they have a business, um, but they made these for us. They're 90 days of prayer soap journals. They're the exact same format that we did. They don't have the scriptures in them. It lets you pick a reading plan or a scripture, but there is an Amazon link where you can get these, or we have a handful of them available in, in person, in paper, at the Connect desk, first come, first serve. Uh, and so you can get these. I think they're $12. That's just at cost. So for those of you like, man, I want to keep doing it. It helps me to have the format. You can grab these. You can grab, I don't know, three or four of them for a whole year, whatever you want to do. You can get them online. We'll make these available. Um, So because Monday is our final day of 21 days, we always start our year, 21 days of prayer. Um, But our goal is that January isn't the highlight of your year. Spiritually, it's the kickoff and the catalyst of your year, right? So let's keep it going. And if this helps you do what you got to do, so those are available um, for you. So I have loved this month, this series. Uh, It has been really, really profound and powerful for me. In fact, every week as I'm praying and putting it together, God has been showing me more things about myself, my life, even connecting some dots from my past and just reemphasizing the importance of what goes on in mind. I just want to know, am I the only one that has created some new pathways this month? No, I'm I'm working my tail off. uh, and, And I'm realizing the more I'm paying attention to my thoughts, I have some more bad pathways than I realized. Anybody else? Um, and so I wonder for uh, how many of you would say, maybe you're like me, um, that you find yourself in the middle of a pretty decent life for the most part, yet you still find yourself complaining a lot. Or like, why is that? Like, why is it that our life is actually pretty special most of the time if we were to kind of audit it? Um, but our thoughts often drift to the things we don't like, whether it's complaining or negativity, we can really, for the most part, especially in light of what's really going on most places in the world, yeah, things are pretty good for the most part, yet I find negativity, complaining, and I just drift to what's wrong, what I don't like, what's wrong with every American, what's wrong with every Floridian, what's wrong with every Christian, every pastor, every spouse, no, whatever it is, like, what's just wrong? Why is that? Well, let's talk about what do we know is true about our minds? We've been doing this every single week. We've been unbelievably repetitive on purpose. And so what do we know about our minds? Our minds are a battlefield, right? And most of our battles are, are in our life are won and lost where? In the mind. Way more of you should have known the answer to that question than the two of you that just said it out loud. In other words, we've been saying that the life that we have is a result of the thoughts that we think, right? We've been saying this every week. I know you can get this one right. What comes into our mind comes out in our life. Yes, it comes out in our life, comes out in our heart. I will accept heart. Yes, great work. Um, 
It, whatever comes in, it comes out in our life. Our life is the byproduct of what comes into our mind. And so it's almost impossible to have a positive faith-filled life with a negative fear-filled mindset, right? And so we've been reviewing, we've been talking about this scripture for review, 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul, kind of helping us with this, completely backed up by neuroscience, has been saying, for we do not live in the world, we wait, uh, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the divine power, come on somebody, to demolish strongholds, yes. So we demolish arguments and every pretension, every thought or argument that sets itself up about the knowledge or the truth of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ, right? This is what we've been talking about. This is the simple process we've been walking through is how do I experience God's divine power to demolish stronghold? And what is a stronghold? It is just simply a wrong path or a wrong pattern of thinking, right? Every thought creates a new pathway, a neural pathway. And we've been saying that the more we think a thought, the easier it is to keep thinking that thought, which is great news if it's a true thought that adds value and lines up with God's word. It is a bad news situation if it's a negative toxic thought that is ruining our life, ruining the direction that we're heading, et cetera, right? And so many of us are held hostage in our lives, not just by our behavior, but by our thinking. So this week, I wanna kind of end it. I wanna end it with, uh, the idea of how do we defeat our negative thoughts, the complaining, how do we defeat negative thoughts? Last week, we gave you a really practical tool. Hopefully you've been doing it, writing it, thinking it, saying it till I believe it, writing it, thinking it, saying it. That's what we're gonna do. I wanna dive a little bit deeper. We've been talking about the power of the mind for the entire month of January. And it's incredibly complex uh, because every time we create, every time we have a thought, we create these new neural pathways. In fact, our brain is very, very complicated. Here's a really overly simplified picture of it, but literally billions, billions of pathways and neural pathways are happening. And what happens is we get in patterns of thinking and we start cutting grooves and our brain and, and, our, and our, literally our, our hormones and the chemicals in our body start following our brain and either rewarding or unrewarding us based on those thoughts. And as we've been saying, the more you think a thought, the easier it is to think that thought again. So I wanna reintroduce that idea. I wanna drive deeper and kind of focus on two things. And so I wanna talk today, we're gonna to bring scripture into this obviously, but I wanna talk about probably um, the, the, the best place to land to kind of close this idea and conversation that really is gonna help us to know where can I take this and where can I keep going to work after the series is over? How do I apply this in my life? What does this look like? And I wanna talk about cognitive bias. Cognitive bias, uh, and, and some of my, my psychology counseling friends are smiling right now. Cognitive bias is a big fancy word, that's, but it's really, really important. And here's what we have to know. You're already reading it because it's on the screen, but I don't care. I'm gonna say this first. We all have them. They're unavoidable. We all have them. And cognitive bias is a fancy counseling psychology word that basically means it's a mistake in reasoning. Think about this. Based on personal experience, or personal preference. It's a mistake in reasoning. It's that, uh, it's that inability to um, actually take in what really happened because we interpret it differently based on a prior experience or a personal preference. And we all have them. And usually the more intense or gnarly some of your personal experiences are, the more cognitive biases you have. This is the deep work that, that trauma patients go through, that abuse victims go through, is they have these cognitive bias. But here's a, like, I'm like the, I need the for dummies version. And so here's a better way of like, cognitive bias for dummies is basically just a mental filter or a mental framework. 
It's if we all put these glasses on and had like a, a rose-colored filter, we would see things that aren't exactly the way they are. We would see them through a filter. And so let me give you a couple of examples. If you grew up in a context where something really bad happened to you, then you have a framework, you have a filter that could cause you to see a situation inaccurately. For example, um, if you grew up around um, abusive men, which is, is unfortunately a reality for a, a statistically quite a few of us, then now your filter is probably all men or could be all men are abusive, all men are, are power hungry, none of them are trustworthy and they're all hurtful. Your, your filter will tend to see uh, shape how you see men because of what happened to you. And it will cause you to make actually inaccurate judgment of other men in different situations down the road because of a filter of a previous situation. Does that make sense? Yes. Maybe you grew up and you are, uh, maybe you were like a lower income family and your parents talk negatively about wealthy people. All wealthy people are selfish. They're just into themselves. Um, they're bad, they're evil or whatever. Then you find yourself later on in life coming into some wealth, you find some success, you're, you're financially well off, but now you find yourself fighting all this guilt or shame. Why? Because you have a filter that your mom or your dad was like, wealthy people are evil, wealthy people are selfish, wealthy people are evil, wealthy people are selfish. Well, that may or may not be true, but now you have a filter in which you see yourself and you see other people. Um, or maybe it's the opposite that you're like, uh, poor people are lazy. It doesn't matter their education or if they're in between hard times or COVID took their job, just poor people are lazy, poor people are lazy, poor people are lazy. Now you all of a sudden, you got your master's degree, you've had great jobs, but you find yourself in a tough situation and all of a sudden you're the lazy one and now you have this filter that affects what you're seeing. Are you still with me? Yes. Yeah, the filters you have, the filters I have, they shape the way we see our life. And so here's why this is important. Change the filter, change the feeling. It's not about what really happened again, it's about your perception of reality. Change the filter, change the feeling. So uh, let's give an example like this. I'm wearing white shoes, blue jeans, and a gray and white hoodie. But let's change the filter. All of a sudden, if we change a filter, let's go with uh, like a bluish filter. What do we got? The reality of who I am and what I'm wearing has not changed. I'm still the exact same person. But now you apply a different filter and it comes across very different. It appears very different. A blue filter typically is a cold filter. So now all of a sudden, maybe it's like, oh, it's cold, he's hard, he's harsh, he must be German. Or, you know, whatever the case may, <laughs> which we are, I am, I'm just saying. Uh, but all of a sudden you have a filter that now changes how you see. Maybe it's not the blue filter, maybe we go with a different filter. Maybe it's, ooh, anger is the filter. Everything just makes you lash out and rage and you know, enter the Darth Vader music. And again, I look very different to you but nothing about me has changed. I'm still wearing what I was wearing. I'm still in the exact same spot. But now you have a different, maybe your filter is rage and so everything irritates you and everything makes you anxious and everything's like, I just wanna throat punch everyone I see and whatever the case may be, your filter is, is affecting your feelings and affecting your experiences. Maybe your filter is not a red one, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's money, 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 money. And everything about education and everything about relationship and everything about life is only about money and success and failures about money. And you have, a, you have an economical filter because of, again, preferences or experiences. And once again, I look very different now. Have a Hulk, thank you. You're the first person that has ever said that. I look like, I remind them of the Hulk. This is my favorite church service I've ever attended in 41 years. <laughs> I usually get like Captain America before the thing, you know, or Spider-Man. Um, not, not big Captain America, pre-Captain America, <laughs> wimpy one. But, but perfect, it's a simple example, but I think it'll stick. Nothing about the reality of the way I look changed, right? 
But the filter that was applied to me changed the way you viewed it, and it can skew your, were my pants blue? Were they green? Is my shirt yellow? Is it orange? Is it red? Well, it kind of depends on your filter. And all of us have these filters in so many areas of our life. A cognitive bias is just a filter. It's when our brain is kind of pre-wired to think a certain way or to interpret a, a situation a certain way. And this is why it matters. This is why two people can have almost the exact same experience in the exact same way with two very different outcomes in the same situation. For example, a supervisor can pull two employees in and give the exact same feedback in the exact same direction, and one employee walks out and goes, I can't believe my supervisor's always on my case. It's always about what I'm not good at, I'm not good enough, I'm underappreciated, they don't pay me enough, nobody cares, and it's like, oh. Same, the same exact feedback from the same exact employer can have a different, a different uh, employee come in with maybe a different filter, like, man, I love that my job, I love that three or four times a year, they bring me in and tell me what I'm doing well, they give me some coaching on how I could get better, they point me in a direction, they give me honest feedback, I love working here, I love that they take the time to invest me and help me make me, make me better. Same exact feedback, same exact supervisor, two very different situations, why? Because of the filters, so our past does matter, our upbringing does matter, our, 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 our belief system, our preferences does matter. Or some of us, it's just even the invitation to the meeting. And then, I shouldn't laugh about this. This even happens here. It happens all the time. It just cracks me up. I'm like, hey, we, everybody, you're going to have to, you're, you know, I'm going to set up a meeting with everybody. Half our people are like, oh my God, I'm getting fired. You know what I mean? Like just the idea of you having to be, and then they have like half of them like probably getting a promotion. I'm just crushing it. You know what I mean? Just, just an invitation to the meeting is like, yeah, another raise, another promotion. I'm killing it versus like, I knew it. Like, and all we've ever done is build you up and, and, and encourage you and give you equipped to, to be successful. Like, oh my gosh. But well, here's what happens. Here's why this matters. It's not the facts that change. It's not the reality that changes. It's the filter. And so God wants our filter to be his filter. This is why you saw two different people can go into the same church and go, man, I hate this place. All Christians are hypocrites. The music drives me crazy. This place is stupid. Another person with a very different filter can go into the exact same church service. I love this place. The people are amazing. They're just so friendly and welcoming. The music just touches my soul. I feel like I hear from God. Maybe God wants me here and has something to say to me. Not the facts that change, it's the filter. And where this really, really matters is in your relationship with God. And we've learned, we learned early on that your relationship with your earthly father, like it or not, does color how you perceive God because he's described as your heavenly father. So if you had a good dad who was involved in your life, uh, didn't overly react in anger, uh, was compassionate, um, he was, and, and then you're, you're probably more likely to see God as a caring, compassionate, relational God who wants what's best for you. If you had a dad who was distant and abusive and didn't really ever encourage you and you, your best was never good enough or whatever, you're gonna think God is a God who's regularly angry, that your best is never good enough, that he's distant and he's disinterested. Everything we have in life colors are filters of life. And, and the people that you find in adult life that are typically the most healthy, it's not because they're better or they had some better background, is they've just been really intentional about looking at what are my filters and what do I need to reframe or where do I need to change my filters? And here's the challenge with cognitive bias. They're really easy to see in other people. <laughs> Especially the longer you're around them. You know what? they're really hard to see in ourselves. It's like, oh, I could tell you all, oh, you know, you meet somebody like, his dad didn't love him, you know, or whatever the case may be. And then you come unglued and you're like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. I just, I'm, just, I'm German, you know what I mean? Like I, don't, like, I don't know. 
In fact, we see biblical examples of this. If you go back to the Old Testament, the story of, of the kingdom of, of, of the nation of Israel, they were enslaved for hundreds of years in Egypt. God delivers them, and this man named Moses delivers millions of people out of Egypt, and he says, I promise I'm gonna give you this promised land. And towards the end of the story, in Numbers chapter 12 and 13, they're right on the edge of it, and God's like, I'm gonna give you this land with milk and honey. It's the promised land. I'm gonna establish my nation, my name. It's gonna be amazing. And so Moses, as a wise leader, he sends 12 spies to go survey the land, Right? 12 guys go see the exact same thing. 10 of them come back and they go, we're doomed. There's giants. We're like grasshoppers to them. The land devours them. There's huge walls, huge men. It's never gonna work. But two guys named Joshua and Caleb came back and were like, with God's help, we got this, no problem. The same God who delivered us from Egypt, who's been feeding us for 40 years, who's done miracle after miracle, who's never left us, this is no problem. Mo, hey Mo, we got this, like, let's go. And I don't think it's ironic that it's 10 negative and two positive in that example. Because that's probably more how it is in our life in the numbers in this room. Again, don't look around, because uh, we all think we're the two. <laughs> but what's interesting about that is they didn't actually go interview the giants. Like the Bible says, like it says, uh, the Bible actually says we are like grasshoppers to them. I doubt they went like to, with a microphone to a giant. Like would, if you would compare us to you, would you say we're more like a grasshopper or more like, you know, a monkey? Like what would, like they didn't interview. They just had a filter that said, we can't do it. It wasn't about the facts. It was about the filter. So for some of us, how are we gonna do this? We've been giving you tools along the way. We're gonna create neural pathways. What are some of the, we've been trying to take audit of our thoughts. We've been trying to think about what we think about. Our focus needs more focus. Well, where do I start? What are the filters that are shaping the reality I've created that may not be the reality that God has? My spouse, my marriage, where? So the whole like, I just want, I just need to kind of move past my past. The only way you're gonna move past your past is acknowledge the filter. I'm regularly angry because I grew up around that. I think God is distant because my dad was a jerk. I, there's, and there's gotta be millions of them. And so the acknowledgement of that is not, I'm weak, it's not, I'm messed up. It's just the truth about our reality. And the more that we can deal in reality, we can go, oh, it's gray. It's not blue, it's not green, it's not red. Not everything has to have an angry filter, a victim filter, uh, an empowerment filter, an economic filter, a political filter. It can actually just be what it is. And so it's not the facts, it's the filter. What are the filters that God would say, hey, let's, let's, let's address these, let's re-look re, re at these, let's get the truth about it, let's create new pathways, and then when we discover it, how we're gonna create those new pathways, what are we gonna do? We're gonna identify the lie, we're gonna find the truth, and we're gonna think it, and we're gonna write it, and we're gonna say it, and we're gonna think it, and we're gonna write it, and we're gonna say it, and we're gonna think it, and we're gonna write it, we're gonna say it, until we start to live it, and we start to believe it, and all of a sudden, our filter starts to be more what it is and more what God says versus what our experience and our preferences is. Make sense? Yeah. So how are we gonna do that? That's the second part. Cognitive bias is like a filter. So what we're gonna have to do is learn this thing, again, psychology term, called reframing. Reframing, this is a big hot topic. It's a big word in psychology and, and it's, really, it's really what God will do when he takes you on a journey as well. And reframing goes with kind of this idea of changing your filter with cognitive bias. Reframing is simply creating a different way of looking at a situation or a relationship by changing its meaning. Now that's kind of a heady a definition. So let me give you an example, uh, maybe a couple of examples. What does reframing look like? Well, first of all, reframing a situation from your past, and this is what God will do, and this is what God has done for me and continues to do. Um, say you were somebody who got picked on and made fun of a lot in middle school, high school, totally can relate. Well, what you would, could interpret, the filter that you could interpret that is, um, um, I obviously have no worth. I obviously have no value. If there was anything of value in me, people wouldn't treat me this way. Somebody would defend me. Somebody would stick up with me. There must be something inherently flawed about me, right? That would be the filter. To reframe it would literally be to take it and go, 
actually somewhere I have to, I have to take inventory of, of the impact it had on me, but go, no, actually, I'm going to change the meaning. The meaning isn't that I don't have value. The way they treated me is more of a reflection of them than it is me. My value hasn't changed because my God says that I'm his son and that whom he's well pleased that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. It's their problem and their issue and it did do damage and it did hurt and I'm not gonna pretend it didn't, but I'm gonna reframe this that that's a them issue and it's not my value. I'm, it, I can't change what happened, but I can change what it means to me. Tomorrow, this week, next week, whatever, you're gonna go into a meeting, you reframe it. Oh man, this day is gonna be terrible. I got a bunch of meetings. I hate half the people in these meetings. We never get anything accomplished. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Some of you need better jobs. <laughs> if you were laughing and you work here, come see me after service. <laughs> or you reframe it. I'm gonna make the most of this day. I'm gonna add value to my work. I'm gonna go into every meeting with an opportunity. I'm gonna to try to add one positive idea in the direction of movement forward. I'm gonna find one person to encourage or uplift or add value. We might have meetings, but if we make good decisions, we're gonna move in the right direction. Again, you're gonna change the meaning of what these meaningless or profitable meetings can be as much as you can control it, reframing. And it's simply the best way to put it would be like this. Uh, here's a great picture, great illustration of this. Often a day or a season or a situation in our life is usually pretty complex. Never, almost never is one thing absolutely true. And so what reframing looks like is I'm gonna choose to hyper-focus on one part of what's going on. Man, this last week was the worst. It was just thunderstorms and everybody was terrible and, and all the meetings were terrible. Well, that might've only been true at one meeting, but it's the one that impacted you the most. Or we can reframe it and go, man, you know, I had a lot of meetings, but there was a lot of good that came out. I, we, I got dinner with my family three times last week. You know, that one meeting that was difficult didn't go as bad as I thought it was. I'm so glad I have a job that allows me uh, to take my daughter to stuff and get her an extra class. Both true. What are we gonna focus on? And this is the key to reframing. Because usually there's something like this somewhere in every situation. And then there's something like this. And the enemy of your soul is gonna try to create strongholds and he's gonna go, God doesn't care about you, your job sucks, your husband sucks, whatever it is. <laughs> God has provided for you. Marriage is, is the funnest work you'll ever do and it will be so fulfilling if you learn that love is about the other person and you have a submission competition and you put each other first and you're gonna build a legacy that's different than you were handed. And you're so grateful to have a job so your wife doesn't have to work, right? Both can be true. Where are we gonna focus? Is it thunderstorms or is it sunsets and green grass? Because most of the time, most often in our life, both things can be true. It reminds me of a story. This is messed up, but it's hilarious. Um, these, it's not my story, it's just somebody else's story. Um, some of you get way too excited. I must tell on myself a lot because you always get really excited when I say stuff like that. There were these bunch of these uh, college-age guys were going in a party, and it was, it was a big party, a bunch of friends. They all knew each other. Not a crazy, like, drunken binge party, just like, you know, a, a normal party. And um, they were going in, and they were all ready to go in and have a good time. And right before they walked in, they all turned to their one friend. We'll just call him John. Um, and they turned to John and were like, oh, by the way, you know that everybody in this party thinks you're a complete idiot, right? And then they walked in. All of a sudden, John was, like, amped about being in this party. Now, all of a sudden, what's John? Put the picture back up. Could I get that picture again? 
Hey, everybody thinks you're an idiot. Now all of a sudden, John was ready to have the greatest night ever. Now, every single interaction, how does he interpret it? What's his filter? People are laughing in the corner. Who are they laughing at? John, because they think he's an idiot. People are whispering over uh, by something. Who are they whispering about? John, he's literally looking to find where everybody thinks he's an idiot. There's laughter, there's joking. Um, there's something else going on outside and they're having fun and maybe like a cornhole tournament. John doesn't get invited. Well, of course he doesn't get invited because John is an idiot. John has the worst night ever. They're all like, oh, what a great night. They're walking out. John's like, hey, how was your night? He's like, terrible. He's like, what are you talking about? We had a great time. It was awesome. He's like, what's wrong? He's like, nothing. He's like, are you upset about the idiot thing I said? You know, I was just joking. Nobody in there really thinks that. I was just messing with you. Wasn't even true, but his frame was, everybody thinks you're an idiot. Therefore, I'm going to interpret everybody thinks I'm an idiot. This is why the victim mentality is so dangerous. Because if everybody, you think everybody's out to get you, guess what you're gonna see? Every time you get cut off in traffic, somebody jumps in front of a line in Publix, every time somebody steals your seat in church. <laughs> I know y'all have assigned seats, even though we got like nine services. <laughs> I wonder how often what we see, what we expect versus what's really there. Why? Cognitive bias. We have wrong filters and we haven't chosen our frame. And this is where the mind battle happens right here is where are we Reframing, And here's what we learned. My dad used to say this to us all the time. We're like, okay, dad. But he was onto something. He was training us. He always would say, you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. He said it, he just said, you can't control how you react. But my dad was always teaching us. You can't control what happens to you, but there's probably different, there's different words. There's different pictures. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. Think thank you for that, dilly dilly. Think about, your, think about your life right now. Think about maybe expectations that you had, your expectations. Maybe you're experiencing something that's completely the opposite of what you hoped or where you thought you'd be right here and now. Maybe you're um, brokenhearted and divorced. Maybe you're in a job that you just feel over, like overqualified for, underappreciated, maybe even underpaid. Maybe you're still single, maybe you're still in debt. And maybe you would say, man, I'm just not where I wanted to be or where I thought I'd be or where I hoped I would be. I have some kind of good news for you that the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul knows exactly how you feel. And he had some things to write about it, and he, he teaches us kind of how to reframe. He gives us some, some practical stuff. Uh, if you know about Paul, uh, his story was, towards the end of his story, we've been talking about this. I'm gonna show you a different part of the same letter we've been talking in Philippians, but Paul had such a heart for God. He only wanted to serve God. He gave his whole life for God. And his whole mission was he wanted as many people to hear the gospel or the message of Jesus as possible. And he's like, what's the best way to spread the news? He's like, well, Rome was the epicenter of the world. I'm gonna go to Rome. I'm gonna tell everybody. Hopefully you're kind of getting this. You've, this should be review. So he went to Rome. Uh, it was like his dream list, his bucket list. And so he went, but rather than get to share the gospel, he got thrown in prison, possibly to be executed. He got the exact opposite of his dream, his bucket list, what he hoped, what he expected, even his God-ordained strategy. And how did Paul frame it? He wrote a letter and his letter could have said, sorry guys, I tried, this sucks, it's never gonna work, I quit, this whole Jesus thing isn't worth it, I thought I was gonna go to Rome and try to tell some people, but I'm in stuck in stupid prison, didn't even do anything stupid wrong. Whatever. <laughs> Timothy, you got it. It'd be better if I was just dead. He did say that at one point. Um, but that's not what he meant. But what did he actually say at the beginning of his letter in Philippians? Watch this. Watch how he reframed it. 
He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel, and some versions say even more. He's, in, he's writing this from prison. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard to everyone that I am in chains for Christ. Like, oh, they heard about it. They heard about Jesus. They heard about me. I ain't trying to be quiet about it. He goes on to say, and because of my chains, because of what happened to me, the gospel's been advanced even more. He's saying, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He's saying, I had a plan. My frame was, was one way and I got thrown in prison, but because I chose to frame it, more people are hearing the gospel. I'm still getting the word out. And guess what? All the people who are with me that aren't in jail, they're more pumped and more bold to share Jesus than ever before. They used to be afraid, but now because of what's happened to us, the gospel being advanced. What is Paul doing? He's going, I choose to frame this and I focus on what God is doing, not what he isn't. Because Paul understood 2,000 years ago, as he tried to help start the church, it wasn't the facts, but it's how we frame it. We have to relearn to reframe our story, the meaning of our relationships, the meaning of our past, because the truth is we all got stuff in our life. We all, we got spouse stuff, we got kids stuff, we got neighbors stuff, we got doctor's report stuff, we got financial stuff, we got bad news in the news stuff, we got nobody agrees with my ideology stuff. We all got stuff. So what are we gonna do? Real quick, I wanna give you three tools. How are we gonna reframe it? You know, I love to be practical. I wanna give you something to do. This should be in tandem and go along with everything we've talked about the last three weeks. How are we going to reframe it? Um, real quick, I want to give you three things. First of all, and this might sound a little, a little different, but it, it helps the reframing process, is number one, we're going to thank God for what didn't happen. Amen. I don't know if you heard the story of the college girl. Um, her parents sent her off to college, and they kind of had high expectations for her. She had high expectations for herself, and uh, she comes home uh, during Thanksgiving break of her, her sophomore year, and she goes, Mom and Dad, before I go back to school, I need to sit you down. I got some really hard things I got to tell you. Because this is gonna be hard for you to hear, so just let me get through it before you respond. She says, uh, the, other, the other night, a couple weeks ago, I was at a bar. Um, one, you know, one drink led to a couple. Um, I met a guy. Uh, he ended up coming over to my place. Um, it, it turned into a one-night stand. Uh, I, I really regret it, and I just found out a couple weeks ago I'm pregnant. Uh, the good news is he's about to get off of probation, and <laughs> as soon as he gets out of rehab, we're gonna get married. Uh, and until then, he's gonna move in and live with me and we're just gonna sort it out. And the parents are like, and she said, now none of what I just said is true. I just got a D on my chemistry exam. I just needed you to know it could be a lot worse. <laughs> Sometimes, rather than focus on woe is me, we thank God for what didn't happen. That it was a fender bender instead of three people got killed. Or, that the diagnosis could be worse or we have people in our corner, there's always a way to frame it where you see God still on the throne, still sovereign and still at your side. Amen. That's a great story. <laughs> Number two, how this, and this one's key, this is big. If you can get to this level, you're gonna be running your life. You and Jesus are gonna be keeping in step is not only are we gonna thank God for what didn't happen, but we're gonna practice pre-framing, pre-framing. This is thinking ahead and anticipating situations anticipating meetings, anticipating interactions, relationships. It's, I'm gonna decide how I'm gonna frame a situation before I even get into it because our frame or our thoughts will shape our experience, right? We're gonna find what we're looking for most of the time. So how do we do this? Uh, it's the difference between this meeting is gonna be horrible, I hate these people, everybody I hate with is terrible, or we're gonna do our best and we're gonna enjoy these people, we're gonna try to laugh, we're gonna try to make some good, good decisions and I'm gonna encourage one person in this meeting. Pre-decide. This is gonna be the longest day ever of meetings or I'm gonna make a difference in the kingdom today. 
You have to pre-decide, own your get ahead. Or uh, maybe it's, you know, this event is gonna be lame. I can't believe you have to go to another thing on a Thursday night. Or, man, I'm so glad that there's people in our life that we wanna do life with that invite us to things and we have genuine friends that we can hang out with. And while it maybe has been a long night or a long day or a long week, I'm so glad that we have genuine connections of people that we can grow in our relationship with God with. For me, it's been really interesting. Uh, I don't have time to share this, but God has taken me on a journey and this is the weirdest connection for me on how um, that he's been helping me with this since I was a young boy. Uh, you know, I was grossly undersized, wanted to be mostly an athlete, but I wasn't. But one thing I did start doing, is I started playing racquetball when I was three and I started playing competitively when I was eight and had a, a ton of success uh, because I worked really hard. But one of the things that really shaped that, but really I'm starting to make connections in my 40s that my dad invested into me when I was eight, 10, 12 years old. Because when I started playing, he said, son, most of the time you're gonna play somebody that's better than you, stronger than you for sure, hits the ball harder. But he says, he said, if you can keep your mind and your wits, if you can be mentally tougher, you're going to, for the rest of your life, do go further and beat opponents that are better than you. And so I remember, I remember walking into a court one day, like, it, like speaking of Hulk, I was playing Hulk. I'm 10 years old in a tournament. I've, I've moved out of juniors. I'm playing against adults. I'm 10 years old. Just the sound of him hitting the ball. I'm like, this is gonna really hurt if he hits me. <laughs> and I just remember my daddy saying, this guy's a hothead. Keep your head. He goes, he's better than you, but you're gonna beat him if you don't, if you, and so he was pre-framing it for me. And I remember in the middle of the game, he hit some bad shot and he just cussed. I'm like, you can't do that. I was 10. He slams his racket against the wall, breaks it. And I just remember being 10 years old and I'm going, I got him, I got him. And he imploded and I started running around like a little squirrel. I wasn't very good and I beat him. And he, I, even after the match, he's yelling. He's like, I can't believe I lost that scrawny little snot, whatever, blah, 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 in a tournament. And it was in that moment, it was the first time that, that I felt like my, da- I was like my dad's onto something. And he was pre-framing. He's like, you gotta control your thoughts. You gotta pre-frame. And, and one of his pre-frames, we joke about it, but there's something to it. He said, listen, son, somebody's gotta win. So it may as well be you. I heard that my whole life. Somebody's gotta win, it may as well be the devils. And that's translated into my leadership and in my parenting. It's part of my achiever nature and into my relationship with God, even into my spiritual journey. And, and I'm so grateful that, that I was given this gift as a young boy of, of somebody who taught me at eight, 10 years old through competition, the only thing I was decent at at eight years old, how to pre-frame. And if you can anticipate, know you're gonna get hit bad shots, know you're gonna play people better than you. And if you can learn that, and as simple as it is, God's been showing me like, I've been teaching you this for the last 35 years. And, it, and it's helped me and it translates and, and it's become more of a natural pattern and it's these tools. And, and so the last one is, how do we do this? We're gonna, we're gonna thank God for what didn't happen. We're gonna, we're gonna pre-frame. But the last one is number three, and this is big, and it might feel fake, but you gotta look for God's goodness. Look for God's goodness. Look for the goodness of God. I promise if you look for it, it's always there. You're gonna find what you look for. If you're looking for bad, you're gonna find it. If you're looking for good, you're gonna find it. If you're looking for the wrong in each day, you're gonna find it. If you're gonna look for a reason not to like somebody, you're gonna find it. If you're gonna like what, find what, look at what's wrong with your kids, you're gonna find it. If you're looking for what's wrong in your job, you're gonna find it. But also if you're looking for where your faith is growing, you're gonna find it. If you're gonna look for the best in people, you're gonna find it. If you're gonna look where your job is awesome and a blessing, you're gonna find it. If you're gonna look where God is moving, even if he's not moving in the area of your life you want him to, but he's moving over here, you're gonna find it. Look for God's goodness. It's the difference between the vulture and the hummingbird. One's a giant bird, one's a small bird. They both are alive, but you know what the difference is? One of them only eats dead things and the other one only eats live things. 
Hummingbirds feed off of live nectar and pollen that's being produced in the bloom season. And vultures let somebody else do all the dirty work for them and just feed off of death. Don't be a vulture, even though it's the Florida State bird. <laughs> May as well be. Be a hummingbird. How? I'll bet in every relationship, I'll bet in every day, I'll bet in every meeting, I'll bet in every moment that's meaningful. You have a vulture somewhere in there and you have a hummingbird in there somewhere. Learn to preframe, reframe. Ask God to change your filter. Cognitive reframing. And let me tell you how Jesus does this. Jesus did it in my life. I talked very openly last week about my journey and I'm still ongoing, but it was a pretty gnarly couple years in my mid-20s. As I was going through some of those hurts and those pains, those five pages I told you about last week, I, I also felt like Jesus sat next to me, but you know what he didn't do? He didn't say, oh, forget those people. He didn't say, oh, you're making a big deal out of nothing. I can't tell you how many times as I was expressing and opening my heart, I felt like God sat next to me. And I pictured, I really felt like he was crying with me and he's saying, I never intended you to be treated that way. I'm so sorry that happened to you. I gave man free will and unfortunately they abuse that sometimes. But that's not a reflection of my heart, my goodness for you. That's not what I wanted for you. And I want you to know that I cried for you that day and I have better for you that day. And sometimes the reframing of God's goodness is not that what happened isn't a big deal. It's that God was sitting on the edge of the bed. He was standing in the door. That Jesus was sitting right there and he's going, I really wish this wasn't happening. But I just need you to know I was there. I'm always gonna be there. And when you're ready to pick up the pieces, we're gonna put this thing back together. That was more of my journey. It wasn't, oh, no big deal. It was all a big deal. But he showed me time after time that it mattered, that he was there. That wasn't his plan for me. And it really started to heal me. Because sometimes when Jesus reframes, he's not saying, oh, it shouldn't happen or that's your fault or you're making a big deal. He's just saying, that was never my heart for you. Unfortunately, broken humans did broken human things to you. And I never wanted that for you, but they didn't know me and they didn't know how to treat you. But I do, so if you continue to trust your heart and your life to me, we're gonna move forward and we're gonna be okay. And that's how often Jesus reframes it for me. And so as we go, I just wanna pray a prayer for you, that you would be aware of your filters, that you would learn to reframe, preframe. And maybe if it, for you, it just starts with saying, God, I wanna have a personal relationship with you. I need your power to do this. Every week we've had people inviting Jesus into their hearts. I just wanna say a prayer and whatever you have, I wanna bless you as you go. I hope that you will look back at the notes, look back on this series. And when you find yourself in a rut this year, this isn't just a four week series to feel good, but I really believe this is gonna lead to the transformation that God has for us. I believe this will be our best year ever if it's our best year spiritually and we apply the word to our heart and our life. Let's make new pathways. Let's get free. Let's demolish strongholds and let's become who God made us to be. Will you pray with me? Yeah. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. God, I pray that you would help us to reframe, that you would help us to, with our filters, God. I, I thank you, God, that you, you encourage us with the truth that we can't control what happens to us, but we can control how we frame it, God. And for all of us who need to reframe and, and make new meanings of past hurts or, or preferences, God, that we would allow you into that, that light, God, that we would be aware and, and honest, that Holy Spirit, you'd reveal our filters so that we can live according to your word and according to your truth. And God, if there's anybody here who doesn't have a personal relationship with you, who has a, the reframing they need is an understanding of God, I pray that right now in this moment, that they would know that they can just invite you in and, and allow you to be the one to control the filters. And if that's you, just in your heart, just say, God, come into my life. And, and, and he's gonna make you brand new, God, for any of my brothers and sisters in person or online. God, I pray that we would allow you in and we would see through your filter and not ours so that we can be who you made us to be and do what you called us to do. Thank you for what you're doing in our work, God, and we thank you that this is not the end, but it's just the beginning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.